And welcome to the Two Medics podcast. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors, mah.uk.com for medical accountancy needs and also to lifelinehealthcaregroup.co.uk for the best locum rates. Welcome to another episode of the Two Medics Podcast. My name is Imran Laska. I'm a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Dushikan Wardner. I'm a cardiology registrar, subspecializing in intervention. And do my eyes deceive me? It is an ophthalmologist on the podcast this week. It is Sarge. Welcome to the team. Um, please tell us a bit more about yourself. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so uh, my name's Serge Aswell. I'm, I'm a, an, an ophthalmologist on Twitter, but obviously not the Twitter ophthalmologist. That's for the, uh, the budget version. Oh yeah. <laughs> we don't feel that way at all. You know, for a second I was a bit like, who are we talking about? Oh, yeah. And then I was yeah, like, oh, it did make him. Wonder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we'll yeah. The go-to. I mean, to be fair, he has made quite a name for himself, so. Yes. Yeah. You're our ophthalmologist. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. And um, I know people are going to wonder about this, Sarge. Um, laser or, no, or not to laser? <laughs> what, what should people do out there? What should they do? That's going to be the big question. I know. Yeah, it. yeah. It's it's. <laughs> The second, second most common question I get asked about, actually, um, mm. my two things are, well, big thing is go to an eye department, have a look at all the ophthalmologists. The ones that need glasses are wearing glasses. I think that's a bit all, really. Oh, interesting. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Well, there you wait, go. wait, wait. Yeah, so fine. what's the first question that people ask you? I can't believe we've asked you the second most common Contact one. Contact <laughs> first. What's the first? Contact, Contact lens. Lens. Oh, what do they say? Are they really bad people? Yeah, like, you know, oh, is it is it actually okay to wear them overnight? Or it's not really a problem if I wear them in the shower, is it? Um, but spoiler alert, okay. it really is. Is it? <laughs> what about if you... Lo- okay, fair enough. But, uh, oh, God. Talking about laser, though. So I, I, I went on holiday to America once, well, a couple of times, but um, I was at the uh, the border control and the guy had taken my passport and then he like asked me, like, where are you from? What do you do? So I told him, I'm an eye surgeon. He's like, oh, tell me about laser like what do you think about it so i gave him my usual spiel of like well you know i i I wouldn't necessarily have it done i only see the people who have problems i don't get to see the people who have no problems at all um but you know so he's like oh cool cool because i've had it done already um and then started glaring (laughs) daggers at me so i was like can can i have my passport back now please (laughs) (laughs) oh no i mean quick disclaimer i've had it done it's the best thing i ever did it's just so awesome oh, uh, not to wear glasses anymore yeah, yeah. yeah honestly like I, I i don't know if you guys know this but i just flew back from istanbul today and um when i woke up really early this morning to make it to the flight i was really glad that i don't wear lenses anymore because i remember that feeling of when you haven't slept all that much and you've got to put lenses in oh, yeah. it was just horrible and now you don't have to yeah. do that it's like well it's all right now i've just gotta yeah. just go around with stinging stingy eyes i think i, yeah, I, I it's funny you should mention turkey like don't people go there i know that people go there for yes. hair transplants yes. do they go there for eye stuff as well do they go for the laser i know they do for uh, the hair i don't know but mate i was going to tell you there there were so many people with hair transplants like that. <laughs> it, was, it was no job oh, literally oh, uh, as i was walking out there was no jobs I, I you know like the bags under the eyes you could tell what people are up to oh, so really? many hair transplants it was crazy right. just walk around yeah. you could see people there and i was thinking yeah you know I mean, I mean i wouldn't put it past myself to think about it one of these days but um yeah yeah there's loads of them loads of them Genuine, like bandages and what i get done i'd sort out my receding hairline man definitely I'd, oh, don't, I'd don't to start do... to me about that oh, can you, oh, else? No, you are like decades away oh. from needing hair transplants I mean, look at that yeah oh, some people it's more oh. pressing oh gosh okay but, uh, right, you know what on. one thing people do go uh, to turkey for for their eyes is um so people who don't have cataracts but want like lens implants in their eyes to correct their vision so they don't have to wear contact lenses you know they're not suitable for oh. laser or whatever 
Um, so they go and have these right. artificial lens implants mm. put in front of their eye and then come back here and get really bad glaucoma and inflammation and stuff. Um, so seen that. Oh, gosh, like, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Okay, cool. Is there anything you recommend doing with your eyes? Or... <laughs> like, no, just, like... just stay in the dark room, keep your eyes closed. Perfect. <laughs> your eyes will stay healthy forever. Uh, just wear those, like, uh, you know, those things that Lily wears at night, like the things that cover your eyes, and just wear them all the time. Just have a guide dog. Oh, Jesus. All right, fair enough. Oh, That's doom and gloom. <laughs> fair enough. I mean, actually, anyway, I should... I've got these glasses to try and help me with the blue, the blue light, oh, yeah. you know, when I'm in the oh. middle of the night reporting. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, is, nice. is this a good idea? Is it, yeah, yeah they're one. quite cool, I think, you know, they're oh, quite yeah. helpful for when I'm uh, doing health the midnight benefits. reporting and stuff. So, yeah, the health benefits of being able to... Sure. I feel like it has helped my sleep okay. um, because I was finding it difficult to sleep when I finished night shifts and stuff. But yeah. having worn those, it does seem to help me out a bit. But, yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, so, anyway. so, what's been going on? What's been going on on Med Twitter? Where do you want to start? Well, I thought we'd perhaps just kind of like check in with oh, what exactly we've been doing today because it's a momentous day, isn't it? It's the Platinum Jubilee. Oh, yes. And obviously that's yeah. kind of shaken and affected our lives in such a big way. So I just kind of wanted to know what you guys have done to like mark the occasion. Have you done anything? <laughs> Sarge, what have you done to mark the Jubilee? <laughs> I mean, I, I moved furniture around. I'm not quite sure how... Uh, oh, okay. Oh, but, oh how was it IKEA furniture? It is. it is all IKEA furniture, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fair enough. That's the Swedish North. Did you do anything to do? You, did you do anything to mark it, Well, I just got back from uh, from holiday. I suppose I'm not sure I would have yeah. gone on holiday if it wasn't for the, uh, the. Actually, that's a bit weird, isn't it? I got I came back today, and today's the start of the, the big weekend, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Why did I do that? I don't know why I did that. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I just got back from holiday, and I'm not going to. Besides, I feel like you're you're up to something tonight, aren't you? You, you said you're you're a bit busy later, so I asked you, yeah. oh man, this guy's going out for a street party. This is awesome, man. That's, yeah. that's cool. What, what are you yeah, up to? Yeah. Come on, man. Night, night beans. Street party in East London. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's going to be some. I'm sure of it. Yeah, there must be. Uh, no, no, I haven't got anything exciting planned for this evening. Oh, Catching up on Stranger Things. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I haven't. Yeah, but... I did not know it was out. Uh, I had out. no idea it was out. Yeah, and then also, so like, good. when I went out to Turkey, I tried to watch some uh, catch up with Better Call Saul, and they haven't released the new season of Better Call Saul out there. So I was a bit like, oh, this is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, I couldn't catch up with any Netflix at all yeah. in the end. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Have you watched Obi One? No, oh, is that is that fully out as well? Is that good? Um, this, uh, so the first two episodes are out. We okay. were talking about this yesterday, weren't we, Serge? Mm. Uh, I'm like, it's 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 okay for what it is. I don't think it'll blow your mind. I think it's quite good for like people who are quite into Star yeah. Wars. So I think mm, the thing is like, really? I think for Imran, like the Mandalorian is what kind of got you more into it, isn't it? And it's a very different thing yeah. to that. It's so, like that. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. It'd be interesting to see what you think, Fine. actually. Give it a try. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll try, I'll try and catch up with yeah. it. There's so much TV to catch um, up on that. Although, Stranger Things and Better Call Saul to say, catch up with. I was going to say, I would prioritize Better Call Saul because I, I just finished what's available. Mm. Really? Yeah, okay, yeah. Like... I don't don't say anything else. I saw a few tweets yeah. coming out. I was like, no, no, no. And, and yeah. actually, when I was on the plane, there was these four guys in front of me, and one of them hadn't watched Better Call Saul, and he's like, "Oh, bro, you got to check out the new season." He started telling all this stuff. Yeah. I quickly stuck my earphones ah, in, yeah. loud. Don't want to hear any of that stuff, man. Don't want to yeah. hear any of your spoilers. That's I'm how not I feel about spoilers, bro. I mean, the internet's just it's so rancid for that stuff, isn't it? Like Stranger mm. Things. That's why. That's why I have to binge stuff because I feel stressed because I'm like, I know that. I'll come <laughs> it's a not my fault. I don't want it. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's got to be done. It's got to be done. But do you see this, the trailers yeah. for Miss Marvel? I'm oddly excited about this. Even yeah, though everyone's been going on about that. Yeah. Like a children's show, mm. and I was like showing it to Lily. And I was like, "Look, should we watch that together? Shall we? Shall we?" And she was a bit like, mm. 
<laughs> she's just like totally uninterested and i was like come she's on completely uninterested yeah she didn't care. She didn't care. yeah but I was it's so guy. true but anyway um, i wanted to talk about yeah. my golden ju- golden no it's platinum platinum jubilee Ooh. celebration today so we went Go to on. the beach and we had fish and chips which i think was very patriotic although i did have it with curry sauce and then um we had yeah. my uh, my parents I guess I don't know because they're like, oh, you're not, you know, marrying a white girl. That, that you know, they get <laughs> assumed that like, I must be into it now. And they got me this kind of like musical tin of shortbreads, like it's a it's a commemorative Buckingham Palace wow. shortbread biscuit tin. Wow. But actually, the shortbread biscuits in them are delightful. So I did open that to eat them. So mm. I marked the day by eating some commemorative Buckingham Palace shortbreads. So. I'm always I'm always very surprised at how much attention these lot get. Like when I was working at Imperial, it was around the time that oh, I can't remember the Duchess was having a baby, mm. and people were camping outside. They were literally camping outside waiting for the baby to be born. And one dude, he was literally dressed up in a Union Jack like uh, blazer and suit, and he had like, all these flags. He had a tent outside, and there was like camera crews speaking all sorts of languages as you walked into work. And it was it was it's a really easy. weird time to be around Imperial. But I was just like. It's just a baby. I mean, babies get born all the time. Like, who cares? I just don't care. But it it, it was completely, completely like uh, so much excitement around Imperial at the time. Uh, yeah, but anyway, I'm not a royal I, person, as you can tell. No, neither yeah. am I. I always find that these times, though, I find myself Googling exactly how much they cost. And if anyone <laughs> has done cost estimates for how much they bring into the economy. Um, I always find myself doing it like yeah. what's the point and then I'm like and then I'm like it's really rare to actually see an, an article where it kind of like breaks it down in a, in a really nice way where you're like you can see that because I mean I guess everyone knows it's kind of pointless right um, mm. and it's just like a kind of vestigial remnant or something like an appendix um, mm. <laughs> yeah pointless pointless but anyway there's a holiday right and so people are like yeah there's a holiday oh, mate, yeah, yeah. keep like... giving them keep giving them I feel like we should all turn to like four day weeks, man. What's the point? It's just, ah, work is just so, ugh. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it is what it is. Um, so yeah, what, what tweet should we start, start off with? Uh, I mean, there's always a festival, but maybe we should finish on a festival rather than start with the festival. Um, there's been some really um, interesting things. I mean, I haven't kept up with it all that much. Apologies in advance because of uh, my trip. I was trying to take it easy. Didn't quite get to take it easy because I had work following me around. But uh, apart yeah. from that, I, it was nice to sort of, chill out and stuff um yeah, yeah it was anything particularly you want to start on because there was something i thought was quite cool gone oh cool uh there's one that kind of sorry i know this is yeah, one on. we really kind of agreed upon but um there's a tweet from ollie burton um oh yeah from, i know the guy he's got yeah, a big recently. youtube account yeah yeah, yeah. has he yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's really big he's on YouTube. Sound guy, yeah, I know. Sound guy. This is not me bringing him yeah. down. This is him asking an important question, which I think does yeah. the rounds every so often. He goes, does anyone on MedTwitter employ a, I won't speak to anyone below a registrar policy? We had this last night. Whole history had to be regurgitated to the registrar, who then is not able to answer the questions and this has not seen the patient. Perplexing. Mm. And whenever I see that mm. question, I'm like, hmm. I wonder if Jamie Murphy's seen this because I know <laughs> as soon as he sees it, he's going to be like, yes, I do. I hate being waking up in the middle of the night by some idiot. <laughs> and then, lo and behold, he replied, bless him. Jamie was there. But, oh, um, is he? Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so I, just, I was curious, guys. Like, do you have, how, uh, you know, do, do you have a feeling on this? Like, um, what if some? I see Sarge, I think you replied. Or I at did, least, yeah. uh, Yes, you did. Yeah. Sarge, oh, what's your opinion on this? Reg, Reg and above. So, so, I mean, I had said that m- my thing is whoever's seen the patient, that's the person I want to talk to. Like, I, I don't really get the whole... Mm. Like, the thing is, I get I get where people like Jamie are coming from, where 
maybe there are inappropriate calls and actually maybe there's reasons for, for more senior people to be calling. But for something like ophthalmology, um, I think to be fair, the ophthalmology kind of in, in undergrad and stuff is so limited that actually even, even the reg calling may not know any more about ophthalmology than the F1. <laughs> Um, so, so you know, the person who's actually seen the patient and has examined them is probably the best person to speak to. Uh, I did have, yeah. when yeah. I first got my consultant job, I did have one of these situations where um, the ST5 had seen a patient and they wanted to get an urgent scan. Completely reasonably, I completely agreed. And she'd phoned the consultant radiologist who was like, no, no, it's after 10 p.m. You have to, I have to speak to your consultant. So she phoned me offside. Mm. I phoned him and I recognized the voice. So I sort of, you know, in, uh, kind of said hi to him by first name. And that was it. I literally just said hi. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that's fine. I, I will do it. And I was just like, what was the point of this? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. You know, I, I reckon a lot of this, is, I mean, coming from the radiologist point of view, like I do feel like a lot of this is um, to try and reduce the number of phone calls that you get. Yeah. Like, that's what I think personally. Isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's like some sort of weird gatekeeping thing. But my, I'm, when I first began radiology, I used to feel like, oh, it should be reg and above, it should be reg and above. But probably because I had a slightly inflated opinion of myself back then. Uh, I still do now, actually. But um, <laughs> like I do, I think that um, I realized um, probably midway or a bit earlier in my training that what's the point? I'm getting, I'm paid to be here. Like when people call me up and say, I'm really sorry to bother you. I'm like, no, don't, don't apologize. I'm being paid to be here and do my job. This is my job. Part of my job is to take phone calls from people. If you're a bad phone call or a good phone call, it doesn't matter to me. I still, I'm, I'm awake. I'm, I'm meant to be here for a reason. So I find it really bizarre when people complain like, oh, I'm not going to take a phone call, waking me up in the middle of the night. Well, that's your job. That's what you're paid for. I mean, that's part of the description. I mean, you can try and limit it as much as you want, but at the end of the day, someone's gonna, someone else is going to call you up at some point about the same patient most likely and regurgitate the same thing. Just take the one phone call and get it done. Move on. Say yes to the scan and move on. Done. Whatever. Yeah, I do really like one of Russell's old kind of responses, which is like, oh, we just get, re we call him Reginald. So and it's like, oh, you want to speak to Reginald? Okay, Reginald or above is his name. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, and you just pretend to be, oh, hi, I'm Reginald. Oh, I'm Reg. And uh, they do that. But I like replied being like, oh, you know, um, you know, I remember once taking a call from a medical student and it just reminded me of like a funny occasion where I could literally hear the person next to them, like telling them what to say. And it was like, oh, brilliant. It was brilliant. like, but obviously they were learning. And I was mm. like thinking to themselves, this is a, like, I know some of the other registrars. This is a risky thing for you to get a medical student to do. <laughs> like, this is terrible. But I've got a few replies being like, yes, well, the medical student need to learn. And I'm like, yeah, by all means, I don't care. But um, mm. I just remember thinking it's quite funny just hearing someone like, you know, asking a few questions and hearing someone be like, yes, they are anti-cacolog. Yes. They are <laughs> and then just hearing them like repeat it. It's like, oh, bless. But but here's a question for you guys. Like uh, this thing that happened to me the other day. I, I was I was on call. I had a phone call from someone, and I think you're an A and E um, F2 or something. And they were saying something like, "Oh, they they worried this patient may have a triple A, and they did an ultrasound scan, and they couldn't see any free air within the abdomen." And I thought, "Hang on, that doesn't make it. You can't you can't see free air in the abdomen on ultrasound. I mean, you have to be pretty skilled, and I suspect you you probably can't. And I, I'd find it difficult. So I thought, should I should I say anything about that odd statement? Because I know someone's going to pick them up on that. So then I said, mate, do you mind if I just say, like, don't um, don't say you didn't see free air on, the, uh, there's too much free air. In the, and I said, there's too much free, free air in the abdomen. I said, it's that phrasing that you might get called up on. And you could tell, like, he thought I was a bit of a fool, like, go away, I don't care. But I was like, well, I don't know. Like, if I don't tell you, no one's going to tell you. And you're going to go and say that to someone who's going to be really mean and take your part on um, being able to see free air in the abdomen on an ultrasound scan. 
I don't know, is, that, is, it, is this a time for learning or is it a time for getting the job done? Because I never know, because sometimes you feel like you do want to teach them something, but then how much do they really care? They just want the scan, don't they? Yeah, I think that's that's really a valid point, actually. And I think that's something I've noticed before as well. It's like, you know, I think when somebody's referring stuff to you and they perhaps don't know right, the right terminology or like, for example, like in op, you know, ophthalmology, we're always asked for visual acuity, which is measured in feet. Mm. So it's usually six over whatever the number line they can see. So it's always going to be six over mm. something or whatever. And then like you get referrals and someone says, oh, their, their visual acuity is 11 over 3.5. And you're like, that really doesn't mean anything. But then it's like, how do you, mm. I, I've had this sometimes where how do you kind of teach people, correct them in a way that they don't just hang up the phone and go, oh, that, that ophthalmology is just real ass and just tore into me for getting everything wrong. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And even when you think you're being quite reasonable and trying to explain things sort of sensibly, you don't know how the other, like they might have had a really stressful shift and then they just interpret it as you just being super negative. Um, so I think if it's, mm. my cutoff is if it's, working hours and somebody calls me about something and there's something feedback I can give, I'll give it. If it's middle of the night, mm. they are probably busy and they're probably tired and that they're probably not going to be as receptive to like ad hoc teaching at that stage. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I found myself in that situation where I'm trying to like, I, I find someone explaining why the scan they want is not the right scan. And I do take it back to basics because I find that's useful in the way to say no, or I'm not sure this is the, what you're looking for. Um, but then, like you said, it's hard to know what the line is. In fact, the other day I had someone call me up and they were clearly quite junior because they were telling me all the micro, you know, the microbiology and the names of the organisms that were grown on multiple blood cultures. And just went on. Honestly, this this particular referral went on for about 10 minutes. I was very polite. I listened to the entire thing about the story about the dog, the bite. The... <laughs> I might have made that bit a bit of the dog bit about up. But um, it went on and on and on. And in the end, I said no to the scan because it made no sense. <laughs> I felt bad after all that work and you could hear a ruffling around in the background like oh and then and, and and this was grown and then a microbiologist said this and I was like yeah but the kidneys are shot to pieces mate I don't think we can do a contrast scan and that's kind of what you need isn't it and she goes yeah he's <laughs> like sorry mate can't do the scan until you figure that one out after all that work but yeah I don't know I don't know what the right balance is um but then, um, Therusha, there was something that came up on the on the um, on our thing. Said uh, I'm going to just say it came from uh, Reddit. White uh, doctor who didn't progress beyond ST2 lies his way into a locum consultant post 12 month suspension. So first of all, we are talking about people who need to kind of become Reginald and maybe try and get the scan. But what if you got an ST2 that never made it any further and then manages to get a consultant job? That's one problem. I can't... And then walking away with a 12 month suspension. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what kind of specialty, though? What kind of specialty? <laughs> Radiology. Radiology, that's what it was. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, though. We've, always, we've come across people where you're like, I can't believe you're a consultant in this. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I've got colleagues like that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the reason, I mean, the reason why we kind of put this in um, mm. is because it's an ophthalmologist and we're completely blown, blown away the idea of it and so in my head i was a bit like this person must have been like pulled in to just do like like you know a buttload of clinics like that's there's the only, there's like no way can you imagine like this some like sho just kind of doing eye surgery amazing like, doesn't that sound terrifying just sounds amazing, ter like, literally amazing high, yeah. like, terrifying so um that post has been deleted sadly but um oh, okay. sarge yeah. eagle-eyed as you are 
you um you downloaded the hearing and stuff right so you still um so have some of the details I, i'm not sure how much we should go into other than yeah okay first of all i mean the the feat is amazing right the catch me if you can situation of like i concur yeah good well done you're a consultant but that 12 month suspension is that it is that it 12 months i mean surely that's a crime on some level no i would have thought yeah i mean it's, oh, that's weird. yeah i mean i, I had mm. to appreciate the timing given that ophthalmology on, on social media is generally fairly bland and we hardly ever make a splash. So um, this coming up just at this point was quite uh, interesting timing. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, so I did, I did download the, the tribunal report because I was just, I was slightly shocked actually that, that something like that could happen in ophthalmology. So I was like, you know, I need to know the details. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we probably won't mention like names and places and stuff. But um, yeah, it was interesting that I, I, I'd sort of discussed it with a few people um, sort of other ophthalmologists and stuff. And it was interesting that people's opinions were fairly split between, you know, every everyone's at fault there to some people, yeah, like the catch me if you can thing saying, well, good on him for trying it and he, he succeeded. So, so well done. And I was thinking, well, well you okay. know, there, there was, <laughs> there were a couple of statements which made it clear that there were some uh, adjustments to his CV, which made it seem like he was more experienced than he maybe was. Um, and I think, mm. yeah, applying for something like a consultant job, which involves a huge amount of responsibility, um, knowing that you don't necessarily have that level of experience, uh, I think is, is, is maybe not, you know, the best way to demonstrate it's a, probity. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's just it's amazing. amazing. It's amazing. I mean, the thing is like when you're talking about something procedural, like there was, um, not yeah. so long ago, there was a New Zealand, um, ex medical yeah. student. Do you remember that? Yeah, and she yeah. came to the UK and pretend to be a doctor. And the only reason they got caught was because they were going to go and retire on like consultant salary and stuff, but they got caught because they're trying to basically swindle their own patients out of like property or something. And then that's when it got flagged and they looked into it and realized this person wasn't a doctor and they've been working for years. Uh, it's quite an indictment onto, I guess, and I think she was psych, but I guess like if you hang around long enough, maybe you can pick up a few skills, but something like ophthalmology where it's very procedural, you're working on someone's eyes. I mean, I don't see like how you could just turn up one day and be like, well, you know, I can do it. Black I'm it. just going to just, it. yeah. I mean, so how, gonna... how? <laughs> Surely it's not, that's a non-blaggable like part. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. To be fair, I think one, one sort of slight loophole that they might've exploited there is that a lot of places, um, you need people exactly like Theresa said, you need people, people in clinic. Um, and often when you, when you're employing people, you need them to fill spaces in a clinic and then you sort you know, mm. departments then have to throw them a theater session or two to make the job interesting. Otherwise, why would they, why would they come and work for you? So if as a department, yeah. you've got a gap that you need to fill and somebody comes and says to you, yeah, I'll do clinics, but I'm not, I'm happy not doing surgery. There may well have been a feeling of, oh, great. You know, we're going to get lots of service out of this person and not necessarily have to give them theater time and stuff so um, do you know mm. if that's what happened or did, did that person do what did they have there to this do you know no so i think actually look, digging into the details they were they were actually only working in that post for a few weeks before like people noticed okay. something was up so uh it wasn't you know Fair it wasn't enough. one of those like years later suddenly people twigged or anything yeah um, but i don't know i mean and you kind of I wonder can... what was the game plan there like what was the long-term aim yeah exactly exactly like... <laughs> i mean you know not to kind of draw too much attention to it so taking it in isolation in a completely hypothetical allegedly way if you had someone who did that who you know gave up their number for whatever reason didn't progress beyond like st2 level whatever it's called now central doctor mm. to um it bends the tr lies okay we'll just say lies uh, and gets a mm. consultant job 
takes it up. It's a 12 month suspension. Does that seem... I mean, how much did that... You know that um, Aurora, the Mandula Aurora? How much did she get for using the word promise? One Do you know? She was one month, wasn't one it? Month. So she, yeah, so she got one month. She got one month. So 12, 12 for all of that. So yeah. lying, to be a, lying to make yourself a consultant is 12 times, only 12 times more. Yeah. But saying the word promise, I just, I just, the proportions don't really, it doesn't, yeah, doesn't it doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any yeah. sense. Because I mean, no. one, one could, you know, one with the, the word promise, yeah. It's not, I mean, fine. You want to misinterpret that, whatever. You're not actively hurting anyone, but this is where you could potentially harm yeah. someone big time. Yeah. Big time, right? Yeah. I, I just, it's beyond me. I just can't believe um, something like that would only get 12 months. Only get 12 yeah, months. But we see this kind of stuff again and again, don't we? Yeah, I mean. Um, I, there clearly other factors. Yeah, there, there may be another demographic differences. But the thing with the laptop. <laughs> <laughs> so it just goes, it goes in with it. Yeah, that, that's, that's the problem that uh, I'm not going to. But uh, <laughs> the thing that really, like the laptop thing as well, like, you know, the, the whole thing hinged on that thing, you know, that she, she, falsely said that it was promised to her and the, the thing that really kind of I, it just astounds me is that the, the report of the conversation she had with the IT person she said you know Dr so-and-so promised me this laptop um call and check him call him and check with him and it's like you know mm. you don't you don't you know if she said call and check that he promised me a laptop it's pretty unlikely that she was just she knew you know she was just trying to like fudge it or whatever because you wouldn't then say go and call the yeah. person and check with them yeah, it genuinely sounds like it's just a kind of a figure of speech almost. Yeah. It's, stri- it's mm. very strange, very strange. But just in case anyone isn't familiar with that case, I mean, it is worth looking up. It's about someone who's requesting a laptop for work and then ended up kind of being disciplined basically on this allegation of fraud, but it is over the, the kind of the crux of it. The hinge point was the use of the word promise, which just is completely astounding, really. Moving on from like, I mean, just the idea that an ST2 uh, could, you know, apparently pretend to be a consultant. It does kind of bring you, bring us on to another tweet by Lisa. Uh, Medics of Twitter, is it okay to be just like a good enough doctor? Uh, between parents, household tasks, revising for exams, I'm still lost as to where I'm meant to fit in research, articles, publications, all the extra voluntary, I'm going to put uh, quotation marks voluntary, uh, stuff. Um, and she goes on, but it, it does hit something that I've often thought about. Is it okay to be okay? Like, is it okay to be average? What do you guys think? I mean, so I, you know, I, I've always had this thing that for for people to be exceptional, you can only be exceptional if you're compared to something else. So somebody has to provide the standard, mm. the average standard that you can be compared against. So I, me personally, I'm quite happy to be the average that the good people can be compared against. Um, I think there was an interesting thing though, like there, there was somebody said about uh, an interview question was that Mehul, I think, had posted, mm. had tweeted about yeah, last week, yeah. questions yeah. and one of those was about the good enough thing um, or being average mm. as well. Um, and I think, you know, it's like, I think it depends what your definition of average is. If it's average compared to everybody else, then by definition, somebody has to be average. Yeah, if you're, if mm. you're doing the best that you can with all of your context, so, you know, if you've got family to look after, if you've got outside of work commitments or you just have a good work-life balance, then I don't see, you know, that shouldn't be sacrificed just against some arbitrary standard of, oh, you're not publishing enough or you're not uh, doing enough research mm. or whatever. Yeah, I think, I think me personally, I think it depends on what standards you hold yourself to and what you're comparing yourself against, right? Because as time has gone on, I, de- I definitely feel as though I've become less and less inclined to be um, pushing myself too hard when it comes to work per se. 
and more towards my the rest of my life. Like I'd rather be there for the kids. I'd rather be there for the family. I'd rather be able to go on holidays if I want to, not have to run around. Do th- and so I guess in my head now, that seems to be something that gives me more happiness and feel more successful than if I had like the MDs and the publications and, and the articles. Because it's all about really in my head, it's allocation of time. There's no reason why Sarge, you through sure, or me can't go ahead and do more publications or more PhDs and all sorts of stuff. It's about allocation of time and where you want to put it. Because if you're going to say to me, you're going to do more of this stuff, something has to go from somewhere else. You can't, you know, be expected to watch all your Netflix or your Better Call Saul um, <laughs> or whatever else you're up to and go to the gym and do all that stuff. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's not one, one or the other, but something has to go from somewhere. Something has to give. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You can't something have everything. It's true. And so you have to try and think to yourself, like, okay, what is important to me? So if someone says to me, look, I feel like I'm an average doctor, but between household and parent and all that stuff, to me, that's more important, isn't it? It obviously depends on you, but I would have thought if someone says to me that, oh, you're an average doctor, but you're you're a, you're, you're a better dad than you are a doctor, then I'd be like, oh, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll take that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. more important to me. I mean, there's so yeah. many stories, aren't there, of like people like retiring or whatever, and then... I mean, like life goes on without you. And so as nice as it is, I mean, the thing is, is that as like Sarge has kind of said, not everyone can be exceptional because then that just changes what average really means. But also the kind of even having the the kind of thought of like, can I be good at this? It's kind of a luxury in itself. Like I wonder mm. if like people in other kind of um, in other industries necessarily kind of ponder that. And I think mm. it's probably something that, maybe the, a few generations before us of doctors probably would have uh, spent a lot more time thinking about because the other aspects of their life were taken care of. You know, they, mm. they would have had accommodation, they would have been paid much, much better. And so those aspects almost perhaps, you know, weren't necessarily a concern because they kind of, they, they like, as you say, they didn't have, to, there wasn't any, they didn't have to sacrifice other things for it. But then you're right. Like, is the juice worth worth the squeeze? Right? Like, um, mm. what are you going to sacrifice for it? And does it really matter? Like, what does it really bring to you? Other than, I mean, you can get plenty of satisfaction from from being an average doctor. But I think the funny thing is, is that I don't really see the being an exceptional doctor as having those extra accolades. I kind of wondered if mm. it's you know the person who I don't know is just kind of awesome at like making an amazing diagnosis or, you know, just like knowing stuff straight away, able to cut through everything and just kind of, mm. you know, being super efficient in that way. That's kind of how I saw it. But it's just kind of interesting how like our ideas of like what makes an exceptional doctor in itself differs. And I think really mm. um, it, it just is a, it is a, is a nice luxurious position to be in. And I certainly don't, I mean, I don't think, uh, I think I'm, yeah, I think I replied to another thread because there's another topic along a similar mm. lines this week where I said, oh, I, I'm probably average or maybe even, but like, I probably take a bit too long about things. So maybe I'm even in like a bit below. I find that because I got kind of nice handwriting, I think people rate me a little bit better than I probably am. <laughs> They're like, oh, it's going like reader's writing. But I think that's literally yeah. where it comes from. Um, but there is another topic along those lines, right? Um, oh, no, it was, I can have lots of things that uh, go well at work and then it takes one thing. Oh, yeah. Mm. So it's, it was a tweet from Volatile Cherry. And, right, she, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and she said, the longer I work as a doctor, the less self-compassion I seem to have. It doesn't matter if I've done 99 great things during a shift. If one thing goes wrong, 
I'll go home with self-doubt and disappointment. I feel this because like sometimes there'll be times where I'll be like, oh, actually, you know what? I'm not bad at this. Yeah, I can do this. I can do this. And then something happens. And I'm like, oh, you know, like what, mm. you know, uh, whether it's complication or maybe just like, I don't know, just not quite managing a patient very well or, you know, whatever. And why is it that those kind of, that one negative amongst lots of other, you know, positive things that you just kind of take for granted, other things that you take home. Do you guys get that? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. I think, yeah, I think, I don't know if it's, if it's just sort of one of those things that's endemic, like to the, the profession, the work that we do, um, because we're sort of partly because you're aware of, of what can go wrong when you don't get something right. Um, but also because mm. like, you know, just by virtue of having to go to medical school, having to get into specialty training, you kind of, you're always pushing yourself to, oh, I have to get, you know, get that thing right, get this thing right. Um, so then, yeah, I think it doesn't matter how many good things happen during the day. Uh, as soon as somebody says something negative or, or something doesn't quite work out the way it's supposed to. Um, yeah, I, I totally kind of beat myself up about it. I think the only thing that's changed as I've kind of grown older is I haven't gotten any better at dealing with it. But I think what I've decided is that I used to beat myself up about it. Like, oh, I need to snap out of this or I need strategies on how to deal with it. Whereas I think now I've just accepted mm. this is me. It doesn't matter how many hundreds of things went well today. I'm going to obsess about this one negative thing for the rest of the day. So just kind of give into it, own that feeling of, of disappointment and then just start again tomorrow. Um, I think that's helped me a bit. Well, you know, for me, I think I read something in a book, uh, as usual, that made me really think about it in that, um, or maybe it was um, during my CBT sessions, because he was, he, I think he was talking to me about like exactly this, where something goes wrong and you really fixate on that. And it was a bit like, okay, let's say it's a kid and they're playing football and they go miss that final penalty and the whole team loses. Are you going to walk up to that kid and say, look, berate him. Like, well, how, could you, how could you miss out the biggest shot of your career? <laughs> you know, all this stuff. You, you would never berate someone like that. You never say that. You, don't, you say, listen, mate, these things happen. You just try better, better next time. You learn from these things. Just keep practicing. You'll get better. And so ever since I started thinking along those lines, I started thinking like that. Because obviously in radiology, I'm not perfect. I know that. And I get discrepancies. It happens. I make mistakes. And I used to really used to take me down. And I remember um, coming back to the initial su uh, subject we brought in, uh, brought up earlier. I went to my mate and I said, "Listen, this one company I'm starting to work for, they 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 bring up a few discrepancies that I don't think are discrepancies, but they're really making me feel bad." And then I said to him, "Look, we've been friends a long time. Can you tell me, am I good or bad as a radiologist?" And he goes, "Can you define to me what good or bad is?" And I was like, I'm not sure. And he goes, well, like, what, what makes a good radiologist? What makes a bad radiologist? I mean, the scan happens. You report the scan and something, you know, and people do what they need to do with it. And the patient's alive at the end and they've had, like, a good, hopefully a good outcome. Most of the time, that's, that's good enough, right? That means you're a good radiologist, right? And so that kind of difference in thinking and thinking about how I would approach myself if I came up to myself and said, oh, mate, you really messed up that scan. I'm, I'm a terrible doctor. And I'd tell myself, don't be like that. Listen. These things happen. You've got to learn from it and move on. And that's really helped. I uh, guess so. It's true. It's true. It's, it's a different way of thinking things, right? Yeah. It's funny how like our inner voice is so much more harsh. We're so much harder on ourselves. Or we can be so much harder than on ourselves than we are on other people. Yeah. And I think it's because we all aspire to be, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what we're aspiring to be. Like we're trying to aspire to be amazing, but I don't think we have to be. Or we, just, we, should, we should all give ourselves a little bit more of a break, don't we? Shouldn't we? Um, speaking of breaks, um, Issy Phillips this week, she tweeted, uh, one of my friends has just received this email from their di directorate. I've advised them to reply because I've got a 
bloody life outside this hospital and I already spend too much time in this place. Making people feel guilty for not working on days off is filthy. So I'm just going to read this email out and I just, uh, you got to love stuff like this. I mean, we've all seen this, haven't we? Mm. Good morning. Uh, could all house officers and senior house officers, either grade can cover this on call. Uh, please respond to this email with their reasons for not being able to cover the vacant ward cover on 3rd of June, please. In order for us to escalate this vacancy, we need to have responses from each doctor. Alternatively, if you're in a position to help out with covering this on call, please let us know as soon as possible. Thank you. Bye. Um, you, yeah. you read that in the exact tone that it was written. Yes. It, was actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gave me a bit of stress because it's this kind of like stern school teacher vibe, which you, you nailed. Yeah, I've got practice. Yeah, I've done it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> How I report. Yeah. So like, yeah. I think um, when Jamie and Chris were on, they kind of, they, I think I, I get the impression that they'd be quite kind of blunt. And honest, or at least mm. with why they and because why not? But I feel like if someone sent me an email like that, I'd feel intense pressure to like make something up. And why is it yeah. that we're feeling that? I mean, what, what would you do, Sarge? Would you be honest? Be like, can't be asked, or would you? <laughs> would you C-B-A, lie? CBA enter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what would you put down? What's a good excuse? So I think the thing is, I think as soon as we start thinking what's a good excuse, you've always you've already sort of gone onto the back foot, isn't it? Because they don't really have any justification for asking this question in the first place. I mean, you know, you're being asked to do extra work. If you're not available, we should be able to just say we're not available. Um, and I think it's, yeah. a lot of us do feel that pressure, though, don't we? That, uh, well, I have to give a good reason. Um, and I think part of that, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently about the infantilization of junior doctors, or central doctors, or sort of non-consultant grade doctors that, you know, you're not mm. treated as grown adults by any of the apparatus that you work in you know whether it's the training program the hospital you work for the teams that you sort of work with you know everyone sort of just tells you this is what you're doing this is what you have to do um and then it's it's unsurprising then that people then feel the pressure to actually justify why they're not available to work um you know now having again it's sort of you know once you go through training and you get to the other end and you realize oh right this is what being treated like an adult at work is like I just say, if mm. I'm not available, I just say, sorry, I'm not available. End of story. Yeah, nice. Um, but what, what really kind of horrified me, actually, were some of the responses to this question of people talking about like being like, locked in rooms and stuff and being told no one's leaving this room until somebody volunteers to do this shift or you know, being asked to sign um, the, the working hours directive waiver. And again, being told like no one's leaving this in room, no one's leaving induction until you guys have all signed it. Uh, I mean, surely that's illegal. Yeah. No? You'd be like, I mean, I'm sorry, but you're straining me for what reason? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you phone, you phone <laughs> hospital security, right? I'm, I'm being held in this room against my will. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just shocking that people actually out there do this, treat other adults yeah, like this. Yeah. One of my friends said that, I mean, I mean I've had um, occasions where I have had emails like that where they've asked us for why. And one of my friends, he'd say, and then he'd always joking, be, jokingly be like, my favorite excuse is to be like, sorry, I'm, I have diarrhea. <laughs> it's like, it's like, sorry, sorry, I have diarrhea. And, um, and no more it, questions. <laughs> exactly. It just ends it. Nobody wants to know anymore about your diarrhea. So that's it. But um, the locking in no, room. Where's it on the stool chart? And we need to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so still be able to make it. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're a six, but you're kind of going, tending towards a five, then maybe, maybe you'll be all right. But um, yeah. <laughs> I, I have had like occasions where I wasn't locked in a room, but it certainly there are lots of compulsory meetings um, mm. about kind of filling some shifts for uh, some gaps in the rotor, and yeah. um, 
it was just where they were like, we need you to think of, you know, suggestions of a way of tackling this problem. But essentially, yeah. that was um, them just trying to browbeat us. There must have been maybe three or four meetings and loads and loads of emails about covering this stuff. And um, people were just like, we don't want to do it. And we're like, oh, here's a suggestion. Why don't the consultants, uh, why don't the consultants, um, what's it called, um, act down? And I remember this because I was like, no, 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 we don't have ALS, so we can't cover the med-reg shifts. Oh, I remember that, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So back I to the drawing it. board, I, I guess. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> oh, so what else is there? Oh, okay, okay. But, but then... you know, this is um, this is a problem. I'm not a problem, but this is something that I felt growing growing up. Sorry, it's not a worse phrase to use. When I was training, you always felt like exactly what you guys said. You, you're told where to go, what to do, when to do it. Um, even like when I said to you guys before, like when someone asked you the first time, how much you worth? I'd be like, I don't know. I just turn up to work and I get paid. I didn't think about that before. But then um, when I became a consultant, I remember I had to sit down and discuss my job plan. Mm. And I was like, what do you mean my job plan? What are you talking about? And so, well, you know, you've got to discuss like where you, when you want to work. So if I, if I've got a choice, I don't want to ever work. Like, <laughs> is, this a, is, this a, is this possible? And then the is guy laughs. Oh yeah. Nice one. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but <cool>. seriously, <laughs> no, seriously. But if I don't have to work, can I get still get paid for it? Cause yeah, it seems yeah. like some of you guys do that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it, it takes a bit of getting used to like, even in the radiology world where I think people end up messaging me a lot these days, like, Oh, I, I'm thinking about doing some telerad. And I mess talk to them and they say, oh, but what happens if the scan is really hard and I can't do it? So I send it back. They're like, oh, can you do that? I was like, why would you not be able to do that? I mean, you're, you're make it employed up. on a contract. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're employed on a contractual basis. Like you're doing extra work. Like if you can't do it, then don't do it. If it takes too long, then don't do it. They're like, oh, yeah, but the, you know, can't you get in trouble for that? Like, you're not a child anymore. But you know mm. what I mean? But we're all like that. It takes a lot of getting used to mm. um, getting to the idea that actually, hang on. I don't know, Sarge, you, I don't know if you felt like this, but when you become a consultant, all of a sudden you've got to say, you can say, well, I don't want to do that session, or this is not the day that I want to work. I'm not coming in on this day because of this. I don't work on that day, so don't don't tell me to turn up on that day. And stuff like that, you can start to be like that. Yeah. And that takes a lot of getting used to, I think. It does. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Especially I mean, for being a junior. I, um, I, I had no clue what... So when I started my consultant job, I thought job planning was just the consultant equivalent of diary carding, as in... You know, you're told this is what you're doing <laughs> yeah, every day, that. and you just have to check that your hours fit to that. Um, so yeah, being you know mm. turning up to this meeting and sort of being told, okay, well, what do you want to add this job? What you know, are your sessions okay? Is there stuff that we can change around, or is there stuff that you want to be doing? I was like, well, where am I? Like, what what is this? Um, it just felt yeah, it, it's weird. Like I said earlier, it's it's weird that you kind of you put your sort of however many you know ten years, fifteen years, whatever it is, into getting to that stage. And then only at the end of it, realize that I haven't been treated as an adult the whole way through. And actually, this is what mm. being treated like an adult at work is. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, so I don't know about, about you, but the one thing I found with all of this is just, you know, you don't really like, you know, we go through training, they talk about preparing you to being a consultant, but you don't really get taught any of this stuff at all. Um, and in fact, there was there was a tweet that I sort of put on the list of things to talk about. Um, from Ian Beardsell, who was saying about, um, if I just quickly read out the tweet, so we should also include how mm. to thrive, not just survive working in healthcare, sleep hygiene, financial management, pension advice, less than full-time working, et cetera, et cetera, should all be discussed before the first working day on the wards. And I just thought, you know, there's so many things like this about working as an adult, which are just basically omitted from medical training. Like, fine, you know, I think we were, we were discussing yesterday through if somebody offered us a pensions lecture at med school, we'd probably think, great, free session, I'm going to sleep in. 
But I think, <laughs> you know, offering these things at the stage when you need them, um, rather than just mm. sort of, you know, it's, it's always one of those things, you'll learn it, you'll learn it one day, and then suddenly you're 40, you're reading all this stuff about pensions chaos, and you think, uh, did I miss the talk where they explained what pensions are and, and you know, how it works? But you do raise an important point because it is important. And I think now, like, say if I had a training day that was on pension stuff, I think I, or if I, like, I'm way more likely to kind of, like, pay attention. And, I mean, as important as it is to have, like, updates on, like, stuff within my job role, like, I think it is kind of, it'd be a cool idea anyway to have that. Because God knows, I, I mean, I get messages from, like, colleagues who are like, oh, you know, tr today's training day uh, is, like, we're learning we're learning from this person about kind of prescription er uh, errors and it's just kind of really just abstract and kind of just thoughtless and sometimes the stuff that you get um you know kind of compulsory tra uh, training sessions and stuff are just useless like an afterthought and so it'd be nice if perhaps there was more thought into not just your kind of i don't know being up to date and your data how you work as a kind of day-to-day -day doctor but also those kind of like wider wider things because um yeah as you say it is important stuff it's just kind of catching people at the right time in their lives because even even if we'd have had those lectures in medical school things have changed now right things mm. have happened to our pensions and stuff the contract has changed mm. since then it's already out of date but um mm. it's not really part of our you know there's all this talk about like our training and stuff i mean that is something that could really actually enrich us and help it's, it's difficult though i think um I, I'm obviously reading books on the subject and stuff. The, the, the issue is exactly what you guys said. Um, at different stages in your life, these things mean different things, right? But also, um, often we see money as like A plus B equals C, but that's that's not true because everyone makes different decisions based on the money that they have. And so actually money can um, represent different um, different things to different people. So for some people, it, it means I can buy more stuff. Some people means I can buy other people's more stuff. Uh, some people, it means that they can maybe retire a little bit earlier if they play their cards right and stuff like that. So when you've got that sort of difference um, in a monetary, what money means to people just on a personal basis, let alone the age that you are, it makes it quite difficult to really um, cater everything to, every, to, to all people. Uh, you know what I mean? So I think even now, if you did a pension thing, you might not get a lot of people turning up. And I think it would depend on the stage of training that you are as well. Like, um, I feel when you're a consultant, when you've got um, other avenues and other ways to make a bit more money, then you start thinking about, oh, hang on, hang on, there's a tax thing I've got to be worried about here. But when you're a reg, it's difficult to, there's, you know, there's, no, there's only so much you can really do, right? There's only so much you can really make. It's not really going to suddenly go beyond that threshold that they uh, rabbit on about. It's difficult to get beyond that. But uh, I've seen and know colleagues who've been stung quite badly uh, on sums of money that I didn't know that one could make. Uh, and only now that I know that they can, because you kind of reach that point and you see what they're up to. And you go, oh, okay, wow, cool, man. I didn't know you could get to that point. Mm. But it, financial literacy is a really big subject that I think should be across the board for every single person, regardless of where you are. But then when it comes to like um, job planning and things like that, I think this is something that we should be more specific towards us because Sarge, it sounds like you're similar to me. Like when they asked you about job planning, what, what are you talking about? And I remember, I don't know if I told you this, Tarusha, when I was training, I noticed, I looked at the, the rotor and I said one of, one of the consultants weren't around all that much. And some days they're around longer and some days they weren't around all that much. So I went up to them and I sat down with them and I said, hey, can I ask you something? And I said, like, what? I've noticed you're not around on some days. And you can suddenly see they were like, like really, like, <laughs> what are we talking about here? And I was like, I just, I, look, I just said, look, I, I think Tuesdays you're blocked off. Wednesday mornings you're blocked off. I don't know where you at. 
And she was like, I, I don't understand what you're trying to say. I was like, I'm just saying, look, when I'm a consultant, do I have to be around all the time? Do I have to be around every uh, single day? Because yeah. I'm getting kind of tired. And then she was just like, do you even want to be? And then she went off on one. She really went off on one. Like, who do you think you are? You know, like, why are you asking me these yeah. questions? All right, I was just, I was just asking. Curious. Like, I, I was, be like I was just curious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, it seems to me that you're not, you're not around all that much. And I want to be like that. But she was like, no, no. And then I got into a lot of trouble. But it's hard to find people that you can really ask you know, the, these kind of questions, don't you think? Like, yeah, because um, they'll be like, actually, I'm working really, really hard. And it's like when yeah, you get boomers yeah, exactly. who are like, <laughs> you know, when, you, when we kind of talk about how the social contract has gone in terms of like, you know, buying a house and stuff. And they're like, oh, actually, we work really, really hard. And you're like, oh, just be real. Yeah. Just be real. There, there are lots yeah, of perks exactly. from your generation. <laughs> and like, I get it. Like, yeah, I'm sure you worked really hard, but it's like, it's different now, okay? It's different. But, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't, can't like, have a conversation with, oh, we're really hot, like me, okay, all right, all right, let's get, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> just be real, though, being real. No. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's not a good idea to ask some consultants what they're up to in their day because they get yeah. upset, apparently. <laughs> Unless you're another consultant and you're good friends with them, then you can say, hey, mate, like, what's your game here? Where are you, where are you really at? And then I'll oh, yeah. just up the road. Is that okay, cool, cool. Thanks, man. <laughs> so, I mean, it kind yeah. of links in quite nicely to another tweet, which I think perhaps at the time, as um, you, you can kind of apply two different lenses to it. But um, mm. there's a tweet from someone called Gen- Genevieve or Genevani, and it talked about mm. um, the out-of-hours service. And they kind of say, there are people who would give above and beyond to make the system work. And then there are those who would do the bare minimum and leave promptly on time. And then it said, admin guy today missed his train and still patiently sorted his paperwork first. And I saw a kind of quote tweet of it from Joseph, who we had on the podcast. And I was a bit like, oh, mm. you know, why are we kind of like vilifying people who, you know, leave on time and stuff? Like that's still... Um, mm. And then uh, Sarge, you very sagely and wisely said, oh, I think it probably could be ready. Oh, you can do his voice. Go on, go on through. You do his voice. Uh, no, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. It, it would have been. I was waiting it, for that. It would have been like I'd have had some imaginary glasses and then I'd have taken them off. I'd have paused and then I would have dropped it. I'd have dropped. I'd have dropped some wisdom. I can't do that. I can't do it. So just tell me what well, you told me. As you can say, you've, you've built that up hugely now, and I'm, I can only be, I can only but disappoint now, right? Um, no, what was I saying? No, I think so. So the way I, I kind of interpreted that is it, you know, it, there's two ways you can take stuff like that because I think there's so much like we're so understaffed in a lot of t- in a lot of places uh, and everyone's quite overworked. So everyone kind of almost has to almost ends up having to do the extra just to get things done. Um, and yeah. you know, reading that, you know, when I first read it, I read it in the in the tone of voice that I would have said something in the sense that you know it was really helpful at work today that so-and-so kind of stuck around for an extra few minutes and got that thing done because it meant that we could get this patient home or, or whatever it was. And I probably would have said it in the sense of like, you know, I just appreciated that someone else stuck around to help me out. Um, hmm. And I think with with tweets like this, I think you have to then take it in the context of what that person was, was sort of intending to say. Um, so, you know, I think a couple of people had, had said, you know, you shouldn't normalize this behavior. And then perhaps the original mm. post had sort of doubled down and said, no, you know, I think this is what, you know, what we should be doing is, is sort of doing all this extra work. Um, and then that kind of gives you the context of how that person mm. sort of maybe meant it. Mm. I mean, these, these things can be appreciated, but I think if you're going to do it, know what you're doing it for. And um, if it's for a pat on the back, I'm not sure that's going to last all that long, mm. personally. Anyway. No, no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Like, I mean, it's like you can either 
I mean, sometimes it's simply impossible to do so, right? But at the same time, yeah, of it's, course. Kind of, yeah, it's yeah. this kind of weird fetishization of it, isn't mm. it? Like, we're staying after, like, I don't know, like, you're some kind of martyr, it's a bit lame. Mm. Um, can can we go on to, because um, there was this, like, thread that's kind of like a social media phenomenon or whatever, whereby they were talking about people in uh, Sweden. And um, yes. did you see this? I should ask my cousin mate, about this, yeah. Mate! Go on. So, like, so they're yeah, saying, so... Um, so I saw. I initially saw this um, in a tweet from Nanana Rathabi. Uh, I'm sorry mm. if I, I probably butchered the name. And she said, Swedish people, again, trying to explain the culture of excluding guests at mealtimes. And I don't know why people engage them respectfully instead of just calling that weird and antisocial, even if it's normal there. It's socially a rubbish thing to do. This is how I grew up. Well, it's shit. What now? And basically, <laughs> they were talking, there was like some different examples where like people would, kids, they're kids, you know, they're kids and they go to a friend's house and their, their friend mm. would be like, um, can you just stay here for like 25 minutes because I need to go downstairs and eat dinner? Like, and they would just like close the door and then go downstairs and eat wow. dinner with their family and come back. That's, wow. that's amazing, isn't it? Did you ever... I did not know that. I'm going to ask my cousin. My cousin's Swedish. I'm going to ask him about this. I didn't know about this. I should have asked him before coming on the podcast, but I was in another country. But um, yeah, it's that's amazing if that's true, isn't it? Yeah. But then, how much how much do we really get to talk about other people's cultures and what they get up to, right? Mm-hmm. Don't you think? I, I felt like fine. It doesn't make sense to us, but if that's the way they do things, and all right. Yeah. Because I can't imagine turning up to your place through showing your dad let me walk out without having to have a few morsels of food. Yeah. yeah you know. Yeah. If you, I think yeah. he probably yeah, stuffed me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'd give you honey. And, um, I think I, I remember coming to your house, actually, and having some of... I think your dad's... You had, your fridge, you had some stuff from his restaurant. So I remember yeah, having yeah, some yeah, curry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's always like that. He won't let you leave. He won't let you leave without eating, like, a full meal. But that's just a cultural mm-hmm. thing. That's like... So food is such a central part of, like, our our background, I guess. Like, you know, in a wedding... I don't think this is true for you guys, but... Um, on a wedding, they take a they make a really big deal about filming the food. Like mm. the food has to be filmed, and people eating has to be filmed. It has to be on camera because it's such an integral part of the entire process of a wedding celebration. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, the thing that I find kind of most interesting about it is how on social media this is kind of pro- propagated. Because obviously there there is the kind of um, the reaction to it, a visceral reaction of like, if you have a guest in your home, do you not feed them like, you know, that kind of cultural difference? Mm. Okay, fine. I mean, that's kind of an obvious reaction, isn't it? To when someone's mm. being a bit stingy about food. Mm. And then there are other people like kind of throwing back like, oh, what if, you know, there's some people saying oh, they don't make enough food. And that in in some ways, people have kind of laughed like, oh, like can you imagine like an Asian person being like, oh yeah, we've made like a perfect amount for like five people. Can you imagine? Like who does that? But also like, yeah. I think there's like an implication there that, you know, perhaps for people who are poorer. And I'm like, and I remember thinking that's actually bullshit too, because a lot of the time you actually find that people who have less to give are often way, way, way more generous. Mm. Um, yeah, that's true. And yeah, so I thought that was nonsense. True. And then there was some other people saying like, oh, there was this other thread. Oh, we were talking about this yesterday when we searched. And someone was saying that it like is because of the Vikings. <laughs> and it was just a hype from Vikings. And I remember thinking, <laughs> oh, that's interesting. And then an actual historian was like, yeah, that's utter nonsense. Like, why the hell are they talking about Vikings? You've got to love Twitter. Mate. You love Twitter all, for that. Yeah. Yeah. Just like so much interference. You're like, wow. Okay. And uh, it's just but the, You know, the one of the questions I thought, I, I maybe I might have misinterpreted when I saw it, was um 
Is it because of Sweden people don't make that big a deal? I well, think it's that weird. Exactly they're kind that. of explaining it off because if they said, oh, in Bangladeshi culture, this is what happens, people are, oh, well, they're backwards anyway, isn't it? You know, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. in, in Sranken culture, this is what they do. And everybody, oh, those Srankens are, oh, why are they yeah, doing exactly. that? Yeah. Um, but because of Sweden, it's like, ah, oh, Swedish gave Sarkia. So, um, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, they're kind of, I'll cut that out. They're the alpha race, you know? Like, gosh. <laughs> but someone said, like, Viking culture means people don't feed their guests. In every, every Icelandic saga, 20 stories about how if your hospitality isn't good enough, the revenant dead will come to rip your arms off and steal your cattle. Nope. Like, it's just kind of nonsense. But I think this, the hashtag got a kind of um, commandeered by the outright in Sweden. And they were like saying stuff like, oh. oh, well, actually, the only people who weren't offered food were immigrants. And so it's like, oh, mm. okay. <laughs> Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And my cousin tells me the alt-rights are like becoming a, like a bigger deal out there and stuff. Um, which it's is a shame that they become more and more powerful. It's yeah. happening everywhere. I saw there's like an Indian, there's an Indian one, like a... Oh really? Okay. Because yeah. my my cousin, like, if you, I don't know if you, Thrush, have you met him? You haven't met him yet, I think. But he's he's half Swedish, half Bang- Bangladeshi. I and, think um, I feel like we have. Actually. Actually, yeah. Maybe you met him, but yeah, he he looked. I mean, to me, he looks like a white guy. But he told me he they they know that he's not because he's got black brown hair and blue eye and uh, dark eyes, mm. and that's what sets him apart straight away. And I was like, oh, man, but you're so white. Like, if you'd walk around here, like you'd think he's mm. a white guy. But because he's not blonde and blue eyed, they know straight away he's not a Swedish person. Fought, fought through and through yeah. and then obviously his name his name just like completely throws it and then uh, yeah um, he gets a fair bit of racism out there I thought he'd be alright but single he drop. gets a bit of racism himself single mm. drop of coloured blood yeah That's the thing, yeah exactly exactly it's not pure blood is it yeah no. um, yeah so, so you put in a, um, a really interesting tweet I feel like we should discuss it was the one from the Royal College mm. of Surgeons in England did you want to read it out mm. oh yeah let me just uh uh, yeah, so this this was a tweet from the the RCS Royal College Surgeons of England uh, official Twitter on the twenty sixth of May. Uh, so can we follow at RAC Surgeons example and drop Mister, Mrs, Miss, and Ms and use Doctor? Asks Professor at Scarlett McNally. Uh, in a new blog, she questions the use mm. of gendered titles and terms like junior doctor. Um, so I mean, obviously, it's slightly old currency now because it should have been central doctor, shouldn't it? But uh, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's <laughs> it's up. it's an interesting sort of question, and I think the reason this stood out to me was because it's something that I've thought about, and it's something that I had just assumed was personal choice. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm very aware that talking about the the sort of the titling and sort of misrepresentation of, of women in medicine is not a space that I necessarily have much authority in, but just sort of as a as a sort of mm. an external participant um you know I, I remember having a chat with a couple of more junior trainees so in ophthalmology as it's a surgical specialty once you've done your fellowship exams you become mr miss whatever and it's it's kind of switching your title back to mr or, or miss or mrs uh, from doctor kind of represents that stage of, of sort of career development or that attainment of you know you're now you've finished your sort of specialty training almost um so, and I remember asking a couple of people who had finished their exams, like when I introduced them to patients as my colleague, would they like to be introduced as Miss so-and-so to, to recognize their profession achievement or Dr. So-and-so to really reinforce to the patient that this is the doctor that's going to be treating you and don't, you know, you don't get mixed up with anything else. Um, and actually both of them sort of looked at me and sort of what you want about, never really thought about it. <laughs> um, yeah, but, yeah. I, you know, I think, I think there are people out there who probably would want to, you know, use that sort of 
non-doctor title to highlight that I've, I've achieved this sort of career goal. Um, and the thing that stood out about this tweet was the, the argument that everybody should just switch back to using doctor um, because then it sort of makes it a level playing field or people who don't feel that they can sort of specify which one they want to use. Um, and I, I just thought, you know, surely it should be a personal choice thing, like whatever people feel comfortable using. Um, I mean, I don't know what you guys think. Obviously, you are still doctors, so. We are. We don't have a choice in the matter. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. yeah. Kind of, I don't know. I, I, think don't, like... I, I don't like to say I am, but I am. Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> Carry on. I think the kind yeah. of colleagues who I know who got really excited, you know, like when they got their MRCS to kind of drop the DR again. Mm. And, oh, yeah. Um, they used to write after the you know, FY2 MRCS. Do you, yeah. do you see that signature at the end? Of, yeah, they love it. Yeah, yeah like fair <laughs> I think kind of, it's interesting. The thing is, is that... Um, I like the concept of everyone kind of being ubiquitous in that way to make it to kind of send a clear message. But as you say, it kind of you just kind of lose all nuance, right? And we just don't account for everyone. And I think it's that problem with when you're trying to, I, th I think it's kind of a little bit heavy handed in the way of trying to be inclusive where you don't quite get equality in that way. But I think ultimately, I think you, you kind of, um, uh, enacted that sentiment in the right way so which is by asking people how they want to be called before mm. you introduce them and i think it takes like mm. five seconds to do yeah. before like you're interact you know before you go on a ward round or whatever and um mm. i do that actually when i have medical students in clinic like how do you want me to introduce you um just because i just think it makes it a bit easier like the feelings don't be hurt and i think we have we do we do have to move with the times with where we are conscious of pronouns and titles i think you know i think mm. we just have to just move with it and i think just trying to um, pigeonhole everyone into like one size fits all thing i think it's just um, mm. it's just uh, um, too simplistic and reductive isn't it yeah that's a good point i never thought of that I, I'm, I will start asking people how they like to be introduced when i've got you know medical students and stuff like that I never ever do that i just uh introduce them as whoever they are and say their name or or whatever the title mm -hmm. is but yeah it's a good point never thought of that it's something i will definitely take forward um moving on i'm thank very you. wise thank you very wise. Very wise. yeah very very wise very wise yeah. um, <laughs> was it an interesting question on that yesterday um just like when patients see come and see me and if they call me doctor rather mister whether that's something that sort of <laughs> bothers me or like if it makes a difference or not um and i was just saying you know like again i for me it's it doesn't make a difference you know either works um, but you know, there might be some people out there who take some sort of professional identity from one or the other. Um, and I think giving, you know, people should be free to choose which of those they, they identify as As what you're saying through, I guess not one, one size doesn't fit all. And that's something we should all be conscious about, isn't it? And so, um, the assumption that you, you can decide what you're going to choose someone as and stuff, probably not the best way forward and ask them themselves Yeah. and then move with that, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. should we talk about Kimberly I Manning? Kimberly Manning, she um, did a thread. Did you see? I mean, um, I think Sarge, you kind of pointed oh, yes, this out. Yes. But, um, I definitely mm. saw it. Um, did you want to introduce it? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So this was a, a tweet by Kimberly Manning. Um, so it wasn't actually the initial tweet. Um, so it was basically a whole thread about uh, how they how she dealt with like a, a patient passing away in her ICU placement. Um, and sort of the emotions that were attached to it. Uh, and, you know, it, the reason it stood out to me was because there was the whole, the whole sort of concept or the whole point behind the thread was 
showing emotion to patient or not showing emotion to patient. And the story she was telling was that, you know, she was in a very emotive situation um, and she was struggling to withhold those emotions or keep them back. And, and the team member she was with actually said, you know, it's fine to express that we're upset. It's a, you're allowed to be upset. Um, and it sort of contrasted with most of her training where she'd been told by people, you know, you don't, uh, you don't show your emotions. So there was, there was one uh, tweet sort of halfway through the thread uh, where she talked about a previous experience where, where something had happened to a patient um, and someone next to her had sort of told her, we don't do that. Uh, and then she then goes on to say, my resident hissed those words at me through gritted teeth. They also went on to say, we signed up to console our patients, not the other way around. Go and get yourself together because we don't do that. Um, and then she goes on to say, we don't do that. Got it. Um, and it, it just sort of, it stood out to me that, you know, I think, both here and in America, uh, and whether it's more of a, a sort of a thing associated with Western medicine, but we do have this concept of maintaining specific barriers between yourself and the patient, and you shouldn't, you're allowed to empathize with the patient, but at the same time, you're not allowed to share your emotions or share sort of your thoughts on things. Um, and I, I personally feel that that creates an unnecessary barrier to the patient interaction. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm rubbish at holding my emotions back or not letting people see things anyway in the best of times um, but certainly when I'm seeing patients you know if they're upset about something I will kind of if I'm annoyed or upset about something I will share that feeling with them um, mm. I know that you know people have this thing even if you have a condition that you share with the patient um, you shouldn't really acknowledge that you have that same problem or that you've got personal insight into it um, but you know if, I, if, if I'm seeing a patient who's got a problem and I suffer from that same thing I usually end up telling them look I get it as well it's not yeah. actually not that bad this is how ma I manage mine. Um, and I think actually that adds value to the way we interact with patients. But I don't know what you two think about that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I think that's nice that you do that. I think the idea of kind of, um, I mean, it depends on like what we want to achieve, like as um, as a kind of, as a doctor, like whether it's, whether we're just going to be there as this kind of like dispassionate, kind of completely objective voice um because that's kind of the impression that i get is the implication from not really engaging emotionally with people and mm. i mean whilst you can't always kind of i think it might be difficult to complete like it's impossible to completely empathize with everything about everything right like you know there are going to be some things that we just understand way less well than I mean, an example I kind of I think about in my head sometimes, like I was driving home from work the other day and I was thinking to myself, I remember when I was an F1 and I'd be like uh, asking about past medical history. And if a patient was like, oh yeah, like I had a bypass in, actually I can't remember when it was. I remember like it blowing my mind, thinking to myself, mm. like that person had major heart surgery and they can't remember what year it was. Like, mm -hmm. wow. But, and I was thinking about it today, like, because, um, my dad had a bypass like years ago and he couldn't remember. And, and I was just like thinking to myself, actually, I can kind of understand now because stuff happens in your life and you just want to move on. You don't kind of like, mm. I like, oh, you know, this happened to this, you know, it's like a birthday, you know, like I forget, you know, how old I am. Like, it's really easy to, but like when I was that age, like, you know, it just, it blew my mind. Like, not in a way where I'd express surprise to the patient, but I remember thinking to myself, oh, that is odd, like, that you don't remember, like, I thought it'd be more like of a major life event. And I think, like, sometimes, and I wonder if perhaps that lack of empathy at that state, you know, I just found, a, for whatever reason, like, I wasn't completely able to empathise just with that 
sensation. And um, so I think it's kind of difficult, but I think where you can do it, well, I just don't see what, if there's a good good reason not to, like this whole thing, like, no, I don't think any patient is expecting that you're expecting to for them to comfort you. So I think this mm. idea that you're somehow taking mm. something from them in expressing an emotion about their situation, I don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't see if there really is a big negative to it. Um, so I don't really the get it. The thing is, I don't. I think this could be another one of those situations where I'm not sure one size fits all. Mm. Because I, I know from my parents' generation, mm. um, if they turned up and then the doctor decided to, like, I don't know, show a lot of emotion and cry about things, they might look at me and be like, "Can we get a new doctor, this guy?" You know, or yeah. this this lady is they're crying because they're with my parents anyway. They're looking for someone that's got the answers, knows what they're doing, seems very confident, just get the job done. And I think for me personally as well, like maybe because I'm a doctor as well, like when I go get my meprazole, I'll look, can we just not have a long conversation about this? Get my meprazole, sign it off, and I'm I'm done. Let's move on. Mm. Um, I don't want I don't want any more emotional uh, involvement, really, uh, personally. But that's just the way I am, and I'm not sure that works for everyone. Yeah, true. And so when I talked to my my uncles in Bangladesh, he told me that if he remotely looks at the computer in the middle of a consultation about a drug name or anything, they'll never see him again. They'll never see him again because it comes across he doesn't know what he's talking about. There's no Googling, there's nothing, mm. no BNFs, nothing. He needs to know from the top of his head. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's rubbish. Don't know yeah. what you're talking about. So I think there are, there are going to be differences in the way, what patients' expectations mm. are of people, of, of doctors. Yeah. And I guess because of the personality I am and why I found GP personally so difficult was there was such a varying um, expectation that there'll be some some young lady that came in and she'd gone through a breakup and she was talking to me about it. And I'm like, well, hang on, I'm your doctor. Why, you know, talk to your friends. But in my head, I didn't understand at the time that actually some people rely on doctors for emotional mm. support. But that was just not the background I came from, right? Um, and some people just want the medication and tell me to go away, yeah. which is fine too, right? It's hard. I mean, don't get me it's wrong. It's not, I'm not saying that everyone should, should share or sort of emote with every patient. But I think, so I think, you know, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a, judgment call with each patient what you feel that the patient is giving off that they need from you whether it's the, the sort of empathetic shoulder to cry on, whether it's a slightly more authoritative you know this is what we need to do next type of thing and i think even the same patient might need different things at different times i think the issue the issue i had with it mm. is this sort of blanket rule that um you know Absolutely. It's, it's not done for one to sort of show your emotions in front of patients mm. i think for me it, it's because that is based on the the sort of the you yeah, know patriarchal medicine uh, model of medicine isn't mm. it and through you were saying you know patients don't lose out on anything by you being emotive um but it, it's exactly that under that model they do because they lose that authority figure who's calm and telling them what to do um and like you said imran mm. there, there are patients or, or even sort of cultures of patients who expect that model from their doctor um mm. but you know i think I think it's important for people to be themselves, right? Because there's yeah. some people who might not, you know, feel capable of kind of emoting in that way, mm. in which case, you know, that's fine. Mm. Yeah. But at the same time, I think um, for me anyway, like I find it, um, I certainly find it helps my own kind of self-confidence and my my comfort in a room where if I'm just kind of making silly comments and just trying to be funny, or whatever like that that is my shtick that mm. is that's how I do that's like how I do parkings and stuff like I'm a little bit sarcastic I try and like apply some levity but that's just like my personality and I have I do get some like patients who are like oh you know it's quite not like quite refreshing for like 
to, you know to have a doctor like crack a joke or whatever mm-hmm. but like um i think you just got to be yourself right and i think the idea as you say like that one size fits all just doesn't work right that, i guess that's just mm. um yeah i mean have you seen that kanye documentary the one on netflix i think I when he busted to. his jaw yeah oh yeah so obviously you know he busted his jaw and big yeah. car crash and all the rest mm-hmm. of it and then i think a max fact surgeon comes in and you can see Kanye is really stressed out because, you know, he's, he wants to be a big rapper. He's not yeah. a big rapper yet. How's it going to affect his... And you can see the guy was like, I don't want to talk about this. Like, mm. you know, and it was just so like, oh, come uh, on, man, it's Kanye. Just give him a bit, uh, of, <laughs> a bit of emotional support there. Come on, mate. Like, he's, he's asking you some serious questions about his life and how's he going to rap? Yeah. And the guy is like, I think, I think near the end of the consultation, the guy does lighten up a bit. But I think initially he comes in, there's a camera in the room. Why is there a camera in the room? Uh, Who are you? Why are you filming this? And then he starts asking about the rapping grids. Oh, well, you know, you can't be talking about that and all this kind of, and it's like, man, um, those Kanye. kind of times you do. This is Yeah, this is Kanye, man. He's gonna, he's about to come out with a college dropout and become Grammy award winning. He needs to bring this album out. <laughs> he's gonna define the life. <laughs> be nice to the guy. Yeah, probably not the the right patient to be a bit abrupt with. He just ended up all over Netflix. Um, yeah, like you say, uh, I don't know. If the camera's in the room, maybe I'll be a bit more jokey. Start my time up, <laughs> yeah. start up routine. You never know what the picture will be on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trusha, there was something you wanted to throw me wasn't there yes they said direct link <laughs> direct do not link. click on it yeah, yeah, I want yeah. to oh, guys i want you so to both i want you to both uh, open it at the same time so it's called fessel okay. topic two and then um okay. imran can you read it out so we love fessel uh, as always um on the days when i oh god do you want to read this <laughs> yeah. okay okay on the days when i don't wank when showering i have to prolong my washing time so that it isn't apparent to my wife that there are wanking days and non-wanking days <laughs> You don't want to hear me read that. You know I'm going to get in trouble for reading that out loud. You know that. Yeah. Well, you didn't actually <laughs> swear. I just bleed the whole thing. <laughs> no, swear. I guess not, but it might be too far. It might be too far. I don't know. Maybe I have to ask later. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a more sedate one. There was a more sedate one, which I think was more um, uh, more relatable. Well, hang on. You made a few assumptions there, Thrusha, about how much I can or cannot relate to that. I'm, I'm offended. <laughs> I'll say nothing. There was um yeah, I was, same here. Let's move on. Let's I was scrolling Fessel earlier and I saw this tweet and then when Thrusha was saying to us both, like, oh I've put a Fessel thing on there, don't look at it until we talk about it. I knew that it was gonna be this one. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be about masturbation. You know Thrusha. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. You know no Thrusha. It's either gonna be about poo or the other side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this one's more, you know, relatable or whatever. Uh last Christmas Eve, <laughs> me and my wife realized that we hadn't got enough uh, presents for our son's stocking we had a route around in his toy box and found some toys he never plays with and put them in he loved them and now they are back at the bottom of his toy box and you know this Love is it. so true like me and joe are talking about this all the time they're literally about just the about 98 percent of those toys just aren't touched and it's just the kind of stuff at the top it's the same with me and shoes actually i've probably got i've got quite a few pairs of trainers and stuff but it's literally the top two you know the ones mm. at the top uh, i just pick them and wear them but um, but I guess I, I shouldn't make that comparison too much, otherwise I might get given away. But um, this, uh, uh, I just do. Do you find this? Do your kids just like play with? Oh mate, yeah, completely, completely. And then what I find, you probably notice this as well. Like when one, let's say there's a toy they never haven't seen before, an age, and one picks it up for one second, suddenly the other one wants it, and then they have a fight over yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I think, you lot, man. It's like you're watching like human behaviour 
an instinct at its absolute purest. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like replace that with oil, and you see that's exactly <laughs> how <true>. politics <laughs> plays out. Such such had a sad story actually about uh, which was toy okay. related, but um, which I kind of felt deep inside. It was about Ecto One. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to be ready for this. Go for it. Go on. Oh yeah, no, I was just saying. So when I when I was little, one of my prized possessions was my um, Ghostbusters car Ecto One. Um, like it was a little mm. some model car that you could fit the figures in and stuff. And that thing I used to play with all the time. I used to take it everywhere. Um, and one of my younger cousins also took quite a shining to it because he was quite into Ghostbusters. Um, and the, the car itself had this little, it was like a little kind of grab claw thing that came out of the back on a piece of string. So he used to, mm. he'd never pick it up and carry it around. He would pick up the claw and then drag the car around behind him like a little pull toy. You see, I did that. Yeah, yeah. That so you know well. where this is going, isn't it? And he was walking around with it one one day and he kind of got wedged in between like two bits of furniture. The car got wedged sideways. And because he was so little, the force of that was enough to pull him back. So he basically fell back and mm. sat on my car and just completely squashed it. Um, oh, I was so upset that day. Like it's one of those, I, you know, this was like, I don't even know how old I was, but you know, primary school age. And it's still, it's like a vivid memory for me. Um, my, uh, <laughs> but but then what still. happened to it? What happened to it subsequently? So, so I, I kind of I tried to remodel it as best I could, and then I decided actually I'm more into Batman now. So I, I painted it and converted it into the Batmobile instead. <laughs> fair nice, enough, fair nice, enough, good work, good work. Do your parents still have it? <laughs> so I don't. I think that's probably long gone now. Um, it's a shame actually. So somebody actually um, posted a picture earlier, didn't they? Uh, I think yeah, it was, it was James Jay, Gill yeah. of the Ecto-1. Um, he posted his. And actually, just seeing the photo of his sort of beat-up Ecto-1 missing its doors, just it evoked so much nostalgia. Like, I felt, yeah. I actually felt sad that I st- I didn't have mine somewhere in like a, a box somewhere that I could go and dig it out. I was saying that Lils has kind of really gotten into it the other day, so it's really given me an excuse to go on eBay. Because I, I didn't have Ecto-1. I really wanted Ecto-1, and I really wanted a proton pack, and, and I've been on eBay. And you can still get Ecto, the original like vintage Ecto-1 for about 50, 60 quid. Oh, and they're like, oh, shall, oh I? Wow. shall I? But they'll end up at the bottom of the toy box, and then I'll be more upset than Lils that it's down there. So I've resisted the Isn't Lego that. coming out with one? Lego's yeah. coming out we've with an Ecto-1. We've got yeah, a Lego Have you got it? Have yeah. you got it? Oh, okay, fine, fine, fine. We've kind of got the... I've still got to make my DeLorean. Oh, fair enough. We've got the kind of more basic one. I think that, you know, it's not quite the same, you know, because they come to different specs, right? Mm. So this is the one that takes like mm. an hour, but the, the DeLorean you have is like a six hour or something. Oh, it's longer. Yeah, it's so, going to take me a lot. I haven't even started. I'm going to do a, like a proper film of it at some point. But a little bit of time. Lil's, mm-hmm. when she was at a toy shop with uh, Joe, she did ask for the Playmobil one. So maybe I'll get that one. Yeah. Um, yes, although there was like a positive tweet perhaps to end with, which was, okay. so, um, Sarge, do you want to, um, I, sorry, I know I've made you kind of read out a lot, but this is a nice positive one that you linked in and it was, um, oh, yeah. so you know which one I'm the, about? the one from Emily Simon Thomas. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so, so she tweeted saying that she'd had to call in sick today when on call, OBS felt very, uh, felt need to apologize profusely and the rotor coordinator responded with this. And then she screenshotted an email, uh, saying you are not well, dear. So concentrate on rest, nourishing yourself and hydrating. Um, and I just, it just, I just thought that was lovely. You know, we yeah. see so many sort of tweets about people getting harassed and we were joking earlier about having to sort of describe where on the Bristol stool chart you are to qualify for being yeah. off sick with, with diarrhea. <laughs> so it was just nice that somebody yeah. called in sick and just got a nice email from, from their race coordinator and get better. Yeah. Honestly, like I kind it doesn't of take much, does it? It doesn't, yeah. but a helpful yeah. and like, you know, a kind of prompt rotor coordinator, like a ward clerk, they're like, mm. they're, they need to be cherished 
and mm. you know just we need to kind of protect them at all costs because they are really worth their uh, worth their weight in gold yeah mm. the um yeah, I, I, nice. I, I wish people listening could see that that gesture that you did that went with the water that is, it's that it's that, it's that indian indian yeah. indicator of quality um, yeah what is that it's kind of <laughs> if you had to kind of if there's a phrase with that it's kind of is it what to do i don't know is it it's no. uh, Looks like, it looks like you're cupping something to me. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Maybe that will go, go on the picture of the episode, like my hand doing that. Can we do that? Yeah, yeah. should I do that? Well, I mean, I'm, that I keep meaning to upload the episode, so if someone wants to go find it on YouTube, it'll be there soon enough. Yeah, fair enough. Cool. <laughs> Subscribe to the channel, etc. Et yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, well, uh, thanks, Sarge, for coming on to the podcast. I'm sure we'll have you uh, on again, and I know that we, we speak anyway, and I do mean to keep... I do mean to sign in to Oculus and play some games, but... <laughs> As you know, I'm in the middle of a course and I'm very far behind on all the things I'm meant to be doing, so I'm a, bit, a little bit busy at the moment. But um, we'll get back onto playing some computer games yeah, soon. Uh, so, Charge, thanks a lot for turning up no, today. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and um, and as always, my Twitter, um, thank you for being entertaining. Uh, try and be nice to each other. I mean, seriously, try and be nice to each other. What's up, what's up with you lot? Yeah. Uh, and uh, let's not get cancelled. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.